I am Mary Walter, and you are listening to the Team Gurus podcast, where we feature wide-ranging discussions about the issues that matter on teamwork and leadership. We have real conversations with experienced and successful leaders focusing on the practical insights that help anyone wanting to be a better team member or team leader. I'm Brian Buford. I, I never talked to the young people in our program about winning. It was all about daily improvement. Bill Snyder was head football coach at Kansas State University from 1989 to 2005 and again from 2009 to 2018. He has been called the architect of the greatest turnaround in college football history. Coach Snyder took over a program in 1989 that was in the midst of a 27-game winless streak, but quickly advanced to 11 straight bowl games and tallied six 11-win seasons over a seven-year stretch. He is the winningest coach in Kansas State University history. Coach Schneider is a member of the College Football Hall of Fame and has been named the AP National Coach of the Year, ESPN National Coach of the Year, and CNN National Coach of the Year. He was named the Big 8 Conference Coach of the Year by the Associated Press three times and the Big 12 Conference Coach of the Year four times, three of those by the coaches and the Associated Press. He's won the Bear Bryant Award, the Bobby Dude Coach of the Year Award, is a two-time winner of the Woody Hayes Coach of the Year, and was Sporting News National Coach of the Year. You're all in for a treat, listeners, as we got to meet with Coach Snyder, the legendary coach at Kansas State. We heard so many great tips from him about how to be a true leader, and I am left just inspired by his integrity and his commitment to values that, if we all espouse them, would make this world a much better place little background and context, I came to hear of and know Coach Schneider when I was at Kansas State, and I attended K-State between the years of 1992 and 1996, and Coach Schneider and the team were just on the cusp of many seasons of success uh, with the K-State football team, and I remember feeling and thinking that this is the start of something big and special, and I saw that the entire university was reinvigorated and there was a sense of pride. Don't think I really appreciated at the time what was happening and who he is and what he did, um, but uh, it's a very kind of personal connection I have with him and the university, and I'm really, really honored to be able to take some time with him. In our Zoom meeting with Coach Schneider, we asked him to start the interview by taking some time to share his personal background, education, career, and professional history. Much has been written and said about his success as a head football coach, but we wanted to begin with where it all started and learn a little bit more about the man and where he started. I was born and raised in St. Joseph, Missouri to a uh, native of St. Joseph, Missouri. We uh, left. Uh, shortly after my birth, my father was a salesman and traveled, and we moved to Chicago. We were there a very brief time, moved to Salina, Kansas. Uh, my mother and father, when I was six years old in Salina, Kansas, divorced, and my mother brought me back to St. Joseph, Missouri, where we spent. Uh, she spent the rest of her life, and I was there until graduating from uh, high school. My mother was, uh, and to this day remains, the most significant person in my life ever. Amazing woman, uh, strongest woman I've ever, ever known, strongest person I've ever known. 
She was uh, four foot nine inches tall. She never weighed a hundred pounds in her life. And yet she possessed that strength of mind and strength that, uh, that I didn't cross her. Uh, amazing, amazing person in my life. Finished high school at Lafayette High School in St. Joe, went to uh, the University of Missouri. My mother saved up. My mother worked 12 hours a day, six days a week uh, at a department store. Uh, saved all of her money so she could send me to college. Uh, I wasn't a good enough athlete to get a scholarship. I always wanted to go to the University of Missouri, being from Missouri. My mother made it possible for me to do so. My freshman year, uh, not knowing, being away from home for the first time in my life and not really knowing how it all worked, carried 12 hours and passed one, left. Uh, the University of Missouri, and came back to St. Joe because I felt like I was wasting my mother's money. Stayed at home, and I went to, and when I say home, we always lived in an apartment. The, uh, we stayed, uh, uh, I stayed there and went to the local community college, junior college, if you will. Norris Patterson, the athletic director at William Jewell College in Liberty, Missouri, entered my life at that uh, time, and uh, Knowing of my athletic background in high school, asked me if I would uh, want to come to William Jewell College and participate in football. Uh, eventually, through a lot of dialogue, I didn't, uh, I wasn't going to go anyplace where it was going to cost my mother money. And uh, it was uh, William Jewell is a non scholarship school, but uh, Dr. Patterson uh, offered me several jobs that I could. Uh, pay for most of my college and I could take out loans for the rest. Uh, I did all of that, graduated from uh, William Jewell College, uh, collectively in college, four years, so I was on time. I uh, had, uh, had a minor in uh, uh, Spanish. Uh, don't ask me. Uh, I didn't know. <laughs> you had to take a foreign language. And I had never taken a foreign language. I had not been a great student in high school, but uh, nevertheless, I took Spanish, got a, ended up with a minor in it. Uh, when I left uh, William Jewell, I was, my desire was always to be a coach. I was always been involved in athletics when I lived in St. Joe uh, and I was young. My mother worked at those long hours. And so she took me down to the YMCA and said, my son will be here every day from this time to this time. If he's late, you call me, I'll, I'll make sure that uh, he gets there. Uh, but uh, so I was in, the, I grew up in a YMCA, so to speak. And uh, uh, it was all athletics, you know, participated in athletics all the time. And I loved athletics. And so the desire was, uh, was to coach, never thought about doing anything else. Uh, so when I left William Drew, I was looking for a coaching job. Uh, the athletic director, again, uh, Norris Patterson, who was also the football coach, great man, found me a uh, position in Gallatin, Missouri, which was only about 30 or 40 miles away from my hometown, to uh, Gallatin to, to coach. And I was an assistant at every sport that there was. But they also uh, asked me to teach Spanish. So I was teaching first and second year Spanish. Uh, it was a small school, K through 12, uh, was a total of 100 students. Uh, so all the classes were small. Uh, I had uh, the largest class. I had four classes. The largest was seven. The smallest was four. Wow. And 
all the second year students knew more about Spanish than I did. And so <clears throat> I lived with a elderly woman who had been raised on the farm and lived on the farm all of her life. She had moved into Gallatin, a very small town, and she had a home directly across the street from the high school and or the school. Okay, we will pause our regular programming here for our first audio footnote. You may have noticed that at the end of his previous statement, Coach Schneider corrected himself and said, directly across the street from the high school or the school, because the school was K-12. through In the current online directory at K-State, Coach Schneider's bio starts this way, precise, intense, tireless, accomplished, dedicated, caring. This self-correction is a small but telling example of his precision and attention to detail. Now, big picture, he is 81 years old, retired, giving a pro bono interview out of the generosity of his heart, and he could have easily have just said school. But the details and the truth matter a great deal to Bill Snyder. You may also be wondering why, more than five minutes into the interview, we haven't got to at least to his time at USC, Iowa, or K-State. But after reading two books and numerous articles and watching several videos, I've learned that Coach Snyder is thoughtful, prepared, and he acts and speaks with intention. And his past and career path is important for us to better understand his later success. She had a home directly across the street from the high school and or the school. And she put, uh, uh, put it up for rent. Uh, a room up for rent. I rented the room and she was a wonderful, wonderful, Sarah Witt was her name and she wanted to take care of me. And so she wanted to fix all my meals. I would come home in the evening and with an unbelievable amount of work to do to catch up in Spanish, just to be a step ahead the next day. And she would sit me down at a large, probably six seat uh, dining room table, one of those old time dining room table, beautiful piece of furniture. And she would fill that up with food every night. And it's just wow. me and her. And I didn't want to embarrass her. So I ate everything she put on my plate. And I was raised that way by my mother anyway. So and when I eat very much, I get tired, get sleepy. And now I've got uh, four or five hours of work to do in Spanish. And I'm uh, sleepy from all the food that I was up till three or four o'clock every morning then I'd go in the next day and so <clears throat> that went on and I decided that uh, probably didn't want to do that anymore so I uh, I went to eastern New Mexico University in Fortales New Mexico for one year get my master's degree I uh, got my master's degree and then decided I would start looking for a coaching job again I was uh, hired sight unseen in, uh, at Indio High School in Indio, California. And I had never been to California. I knew nothing about uh, uh, the area. The first day that I was there, we had a uh, teacher meeting. Uh, the principal made his presentations. His uh, name was uh, Alexander. And after the meeting, and again, I had gone to be an assistant uh, basketball coach. Uh, assistant uh, football coach. I was going to be the head swimming coach because I had started the swim program at William Jewell College. I had been a 
competitive swimmer when I was young. People there, uh, the, the principal uh, approached me after that initial meeting and uh, said, uh, coach said, I want you to do me a favor. He said, we have a, uh, uh, one of our teachers is with child and will not be able to teach the first semester. And I would, I'm trying to distribute her classes and I would, would ask if you would take one class. And I said, certainly, you know, I didn't figure that I had any options. And I said, what would the class be? And he said, it'll be Spanish. And he said, I recognize that you had a Spanish background. Uh, one of the largest mistakes I made in my life was going to a school where you had to take a, uh, a foreign language. So uh, nevertheless, I, I fretted about it and uh, pardon the phone uh, for some time. So I stayed up all night before the first day of classes trying to put together a plan for Spanish. So I went the first day, well, let me backtrack very quickly. Uh, the first day was just a 15 minute period introductions and then they went on to other classes. And so I was in the room and I had been used to those small classes. Well, I had 37 students in the class and I had not realized where Indio, California was located and it was in the Coachella Valley. So a significant number of the youngsters that came in were Spanish speaking youngsters. Uh, so then that's when I really uh, was uh, scared to death. And so I, the next night I stayed up trying to figure out what I was gonna do. But bottom line is, you know, I, I went to the classroom, I arranged tables where five to seven students could all sit at, at a table. So no more than, uh, than seven. I think I had one table of seven, the rest were five or six. And then I had written the instructions uh, on the board in Spanish. Uh, I could, you know, gradually mm -hmm. figure it out. And, uh, and then I had written it down and I'd gone over it time and time again to be able to say what I needed to say so the Spanish speaking students could hear it well. And the bottom line was that I divided them up so that there were uh, X number of Spanish speaking students and uh, one or two English speaking students at each table. And the instructions were that through the course of the semester, the English speaking students would teach English to the Spanish speaking students and the Spanish speaking students would teach Spanish to the English speaking students. And I would monitor the class for the entire semester. So that was, that was my, my way out, my salvation. So, uh, Brilliant. Well, I don't know about that, but I I did uh, uh, I rested a little bit better each uh, each evening. Uh, I was at Indio High School for a couple of years. Uh, left Indio and went to the University of Southern California as a uh, they didn't call them graduate assistants at the time, but it was basically that. Started work on my doctorate degree and. Uh, uh, helped in the football program when John McKay was there. And John McKay was very infamous uh, football coach at his time, a great man. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I was there one semester and the individual who had been the head coach at uh, Indio High School uh, retired and they asked me to come back as the head coach. I did that there again another two years or three years. Uh, then took a position at uh, Foothill High School 
in Santa Ana, California. It was a large, what they considered to be 5A school. India was a smaller school. So I was thinking of it as a step up. And I was, you know, I was young and ambitious and always trying to take the next step. Uh, I was at uh, uh, Foothill High School for, I think, three years. And then uh, I went to uh, Austin College in Sherman, Texas, small non-scholarship school, which I, I, that's what I came from at William Jewell College. And I love those kind of schools uh, with a passion. Uh, I was an assistant coach there and also the head swimming coach. Uh, and I was there for two years. All right, another audio footnote here. I think it's important to see how the diversity of these experiences prepared Coach Snyder to do what he did with excellence, and that is to guide and direct, coach and teach young people. Before he even started at K-State, Coach Snyder had nine different jobs across four very different states. He worked in K-12 schools, small colleges, and large universities, coaching in both small non-scholarship football programs as well as large scholarship programs. I bet he learned how to connect with and develop young men from all walks of life, whether it was in a small town in Missouri, in the Coachella Valley in California, Sherman, Texas, or Iowa City. Hayden Fry, who had been at SMU, took the uh, position at North Texas State University, asked me to join his staff. Uh, I did so. We were there for two years, and he accepted the position at the University of Iowa as the head coach. Uh, I went along with him. I was uh, there for 10 years uh, with him, remarried, had uh, uh, two children, uh, Ross and uh, Whitney. I was uh, approached to come to Kansas State University. I had never, uh, when I was, after, after I went to North Texas, I decided I would never try to look for a job again. I'd been moving, you know, too much and, uh, and I wasn't very good where I was. And so I wanted to get invested in doing the best I could where I was. And at Iowa, I'd never looked for another spot, had some offers and didn't look for a spot. Uh, but when Kansas State uh, became available, came to Kansas State, I, I promised them that I would. They were very persistent and uh, called and called and called. And I said, no, no, no. Uh, then one day they show up on my doorstep. And in fact, uh, Steve Miller was the athletic director at the time. And Steve uh, came unannounced and we talked for a while. And I still said no. And he said, uh, and he had a, a, another assistant athletic director with him and he said uh, he said coach uh, do you have a a spare bedroom in your home and I said uh, why do you ask and he said well we're not leaving until you tell (laughs) us you're coming to Kansas State so eventually I said I will come and visit but there's no guarantee I didn't want we were still in our season at Iowa and I didn't want to disrupt anything at the University of Iowa so after the season and after our bowl game I went down and I had told him, you know, you're going to miss out on far better coaches than, than me. Little did I know, nobody wanted to go to Kansas State at the time. It was the 
Kansas State was the only program in the history of college football at that time to have lost 500 games or more than 500 games. There was not a player in the program that had ever won a, or been involved in a football game in which they had won. And, and the story goes on and on and on. I mean, it was the, the Board of Regents, because the attendance was never over 13,000, there was a rule in place that you had to have 19,000 uh, to be an NC2A Division I school. That's right. So the, uh, the Board of Regents was contemplating either moving down to a Division II school or dropping football altogether. And had they taken a vote, they would have voted to drop football altogether. Uh, so I, I went down and I, I listened to everybody. Steve put together a large, large, extremely large room full of people uh, that were uh, administrators and, and uh, athletic people and players and students, et cetera. And everybody, you know, had their piece about why Kansas State was an appropriate place for me to, me to be. And I told the president at, uh, during that meeting, I said, would you have somebody take me out on the campus? and just drop me off and pick me up in an hour's period of time. Now, this is, this is in the wintertime, and it's cold out, very cold, snow on the ground. And I stood out on the campus and tried to stop people, or stop, try, I did, stop people to ask questions as they moved about the campus. <laughs> and uh, I, I visited, that, that in that hour's period of time, I visited with the, somewhere between 60 and 70 people on the campus. Some were, some worked there, some were professors or, or some were students, uh, visitors to the campus, variety of different people. They didn't know who I was and I did not share with them who I was or why I was there. And I asked them questions about the community, about uh, the uh, university, about uh, the student body, uh, about uh, the football program, a variety of different questions. And at an hour's period of time, they picked me up, took me back to where we were meeting. And I said to the president, Dr. Weefold, I said, uh, uh, I need to go home and give some thought, but I'm, I might be interested now. He asked me, what changed your mind? And I said, the people. Hmm. And that's kind of been a prominent phrase here at Kansas State. Uh, we came because of the people. We stayed because of the people. When we retired, we stayed in Manhattan because of the people. And we came back to coach again because of the people. We retired and we're still in Manhattan, Kansas because of the people. <laughs> people have been very gracious to me and to my family. And so that's a, a long I, I left out so much, nevertheless. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's so wonderful to hear that history. I mean, it brings up so many questions. I mean, first of all, your mother sounds like a wonderful human being, and we probably could do a whole podcast on parenting from her. But I, I'm left wondering about that decision to go to Kansas State, as you describe. I mean, how did you have the confidence when you look back? Was there something instilled in your early life that gave you the confidence to take on a challenge like that? And then I'm also curious, Coach, during that first year, you had made a lot of changes, but, you know, had one win. Was your confidence ever sagging during that time? You never exhibited it publicly. You always 
were a believer. Did your own confidence ever struggle? And if so, how did you turn that around? So many leaders we work with when they're in transformative opportunities, they, they struggle with having the confidence to keep going. Well, uh, to answer that, that part of it, uh, no, my, my confidence, in fact, my confidence grew throughout the entirety of the year. Uh, the, uh, we had, again, another, uh, we had 47 players on scholarship. That's when you can have 95. Lowest scholarship program, again, in the history of college football. Uh, so I, I never talked to the young people in our program about winning. It was all about daily improvement, being better in an hour than you are now, being better tomorrow than you are today, and so on down the road. And as we went through the season, that's exactly what took place. You know, they got a little better, got a little better, got a little better, some dips in the road, of course, but uh, it was a continual level of improvement throughout the year. And at the end of the season, every coaching friend that I had and those that weren't coaching friends, but friends uh, contacted me and said, you had better get out of there right now or you'll be an insurance yeah. salesman in, uh, in a month's period of time. <laughs> I, I, my comment was uh, I had never been more convinced, you know, that this was a doable project and that we could be successful there uh, for that simple reason that uh, these were young people that got better and better and better. Uh, athletic director Steve Miller, who was a, an amazing salesman, told me on uh, he was willing to spend the money to find the money to. Uh, spend to do the things that I wanted to do in regards to the facilities because the facilities were non-existent. Uh, I'm sitting in my office at home, which is a reasonably it's smaller than any room any of you are sitting in. Our weight room is about the same size. The the turf on the stadium been there for uh, something like twenty some odd years, and the. Uh, the logo in the middle was had been painted over so many times that it was slippery as ice, and people were getting hurt on it. And the, if you can see my hands, the mm -hmm. the stadium was built on a crown like that. Mm -hmm. So we needed to do something with that. We needed uh, new facilities, uh, <clears throat> and, and I never asked for Taj Mahal. I just wanted uh, yeah. something that the 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 players in the program could be comfortable in. That's all yeah. I'd ever asked for. But Steve had made that promise and little did I know he had absolutely, there was no money, you know, at Kansas State University. So it, was, uh, uh, it, it took a lot to uh, eventually make that, uh, make that yeah. all happen. But uh, uh, I, I was confident at that time that it could, yeah. that it could, didn't mean it would, but that it could, could happen. So, so during my holiday break in Kansas City back in 1999, I remember seeing this book, The Leadership Lessons from Bill Snyder by Robert Shoup and Susan Scott. 
uh, in my dad's library, and I read most of it during that break, and I was immediately struck with how your coaching approach is all-encompassing when it comes to individual development and growth uh, and the importance of personal values. The first few lessons of that book actually, I think, are on attaining goals. Uh, Coach Snyder, why is the conscious awareness of, of one's personal priorities and values critical to setting goals? And, and what do you see when there is a lack of self-awareness in those areas? Well, you know, there's, there's so many things. I mean, a, a, an appropriate or a positive value system yeah. uh, encompasses a great deal. And, you know, that goes along with, you know, character and responsibility and decision making and integrity and, uh, and so on down the road. Uh, and in athletics, the amazing thing is those, those kind of terms you can find on the locker room wall any place you go. Uh, same word, but uh, the, the my feeling was those are just words unless you do something with the word and that you make them meaningful. And it was important for me to put in place a program, a year-round program for each of the values. We have this thing, you've probably seen it, uh, called the 16 Wildcat Goals for Success. And they are simply uh, a set of values that are significant in life. And they are kind of written to uh, catch the eye of the football individual, but they're really life's values. And uh, again, with each one of those, uh, it was a matter of, uh, of putting together a program that uh, our players could be involved in on a very regular basis that helped them learn what those values were really all about, let them engage in those values and make those values a part of their a part of their life. Yeah, I'll quickly read those 16 Wildcat goals for success for our listeners that might not be aware of what they are. Uh, number one, commitment. Number two, unselfishness. Number three, unity. Come together as never before. Number four, improve every day as a player, person, and student. Number five, be tough. Number six, self-discipline, do it right, don't accept less. Number seven, great effort. Number eight, enthusiasm. Number nine, eliminate mistakes. Number 10, never give up. Number 11, don't accept losing. Number 12, no self-limitation, expect more of yourself. Number 13, expect to win. Number 14, consistency. Number 15, leadership. Number 16, responsibility. From a football standpoint, the talent is the talent, whatever it happens to be. But when you add that prominent value system, that talent is going to be the best that it's capable of being. Now, and that, you know, as I've said so many times, <clears throat> that is, it's not uh, rocket science. Uh, it's not anything that, <clears throat> excuse me, you haven't taught your children or wouldn't teach your children. Uh, they're, they're commonplace, it's significant, and there, there's many more, really. The important thing, again, was that they didn't become just words, that they truly were values and concepts that needed to be learned and practiced. You know, Brian, in the work we do with leaders and teams, we always focus both on the team, but also on the leader. And what we found is that the leader's actions, motivations, behaviors, and most importantly, values really make an impact on the team. And I thought Coach Snyder was an 
excellent example of someone whose values are so clear, so clearly articulated, and it made a huge impact on the success of this team. Yeah, I agree. We've both worked with executives that haven't been able to drive the transformational change that they wanted to because they didn't walk their own talk. And uh, in the research that I've done for this podcast, one thing that is abundantly clear about Coach Schneider is that he was a model of integrity. I mean, he was driving massive change when he started back in 1989. All aspects of the program, its facilities, the attitudes and mindset of the players, performance standards, the coaching team, kinds of games that were even played in the season schedule, the program's recruiting, even the look and the feel of the uniforms and the logo. Uh, if he didn't lead the way and put in the time and practiced what he preached, it, it just wouldn't have happened. A, a tremendous amount of change requires a tremendous amount of discipline and integrity. And he makes that point in our conversation that he and his coaches had to model what they were expecting and then put their players in a position where they had to deliver. That's right. It, it really reinforces for me, too, that change is very difficult. Yeah. And you know, you, when you talk to athletes that were in this program, it was a lot of hard work and coach Snyder led that hard work. And yeah. it was interesting as you can see that his values of service to others and his commitment to hard work and integrity have been with him his entire life. And it's really consistent with who he is and you see it play out. And for sure, he brought that to this team and really to Brian's point, made a huge shift in the culture that led to unbelievable and extraordinary results. Well, Coach Snyder, I'd love to do a peek, get a peek into your world. You are in a role that very few people have ever been in. And so can you tell us a little bit of your secret? So in the day-to-day realities of being a Division I football coach, what might surprise us about that job? Is there something about the job that might be a little misunderstood or not appreciated by most people? Well, I'm I'm not sure. I I would say, you know, first and and foremost, there is there is much more there as it relates to things. Excuse me, that we've already been talking about. My role was to be able to guide and direct young people to become uh, highly successful in an appropriate way in their lives. And Mm. that encompassed a lot of things. Football was a part of it, but not not the major part of it. And I think maybe having the kind of programs in place maybe is something that, and managing those programs, you know, we had uh, uh, a program for uh, high school students who would eventually graduate from high school and <clears throat> go on to college in our community where I would take players into the high schools, uh, make presentations uh, about this value system and how significant it was. And knowing that, you know, they were, and I say high school students, uh, you know, eight through <clears throat> through 12, and knowing that, uh, you know, they looked up to players and players presenting that message could be uh, one that was well heard by young people in practice. Uh, then we would have, uh, invite the high school students 
onto our campus, never in a method of, uh, of recruiting. These were high school students in general, not necessarily athletes. And more often than not, they weren't. We had a program where they'd come in and then our players would uh, meet with them and travel you know, around the campus to learn about the campus. And uh, it, we had a, a nice program in place for them. Uh, we also went into uh, the local schools in and around Manhattan. Uh, and I addressed uh, the uh, uh, administration of each one. And I had asked if they would allow me to have the opportunity to meet on our campus with the young people who were the, the troubled youth, uh, mm -hmm. the ones that uh, were in detention, you know, the ones that sat in a room all day with uh, a book in hand that they didn't read with no teaching because they'd been removed from classrooms because of behavioral issues. I wanted to try to help those younger youngsters get back on track. It was, uh, and it was a highly successful program. Every young person that came through that, these were all people that would drop out of school if they were allowed to do so. Every single one of them graduated from high school. Every single one of them went to college. That's that's something that uh, I mean I've uh, fantastic appreciate and take a great deal of pride in that as uh, as well. Uh, we had a program on the on the other end where we would uh, take uh, our players and bring other people into our players, uh, people who owned operated businesses or were employed in places where they had the opportunity to hire. And this was to, A, to get our players to learn about a variety of different career fields that are out there. And the people that represented those career fields would have uh, sessions with them to teach them about all career fields. Then uh, we would invite the, those people in. Uh, and they could only be, these were, again, uh, people that uh, uh, for the most part supported uh, Kansas State University and the owners and operators of business, uh, but they could only be in the program if they were willing to hire a player, provided the player met the specifications of what was needed uh, to be in that job. And so they would come in and they would uh, make presentations and spend time with our players and then uh, we would set up interviews so they could, and uh, initially we wouldn't do inter interviews for their jobs. It was interviews to learn how to interview. And so these are people that would give them guidance about interviewing, and then eventually they would uh, come in and interview them for positions that they, that they had. So it was giving our players an opportunity to, you know, to move on once they finish their high or their college career. Because at the time that we started the program, uh, there were so many youngsters, and it still exists, coming out of college that couldn't find a position that was, uh, or a job that was germane to what they had studied and what was uh, important to them. So it was, those are the type of things that probably people, you know, don't really no, see people that from the outside that involved themselves in the program they they knew they understand but to the general public uh, not uh, not necessarily and there were a lot of 
such program? It's um, a wonderful response, and it's fascinating that here you are, the winningest coach in Kansas State history. And when we ask about the job, so much of your conversation is about helping other people. And I'm just struck by the fact that, you know, if you are given the privilege and the honor to be a leader of, of others, it's really contingent on you to be guiding and directing people, as you're saying, to be highly successful in their own lives, no matter their age, whether they're in college or whatever your folks are doing. I think helping them to be successful in their own lives led to great success for them and great success for the program. That's really inspiring. Thank you for sharing that with us. So, Coach, what is a mistake that you've made in leading your team that, with 2020 hindsight, is important to take note of, and, and what's the lesson that you learned? There's probably countless number of mistakes that I've made throughout my life. You know, I, I think sometimes, you know, maybe holding a, although I, I've, I've, I learned through the, through the years, uh, maybe I was a, a little too rigid sometimes in regards to individuals and treating or disciplining young people, uh, all with the uh, same guidelines. I learned over a period of time that uh, circumstances for each individual are oftentimes uh, different. Uh, there's still a standard to apply yourself to, but by the same token, I, I've, I've really learned that, that a great deal of dialogue with young people and getting deeper into their lives and into their backgrounds uh, was very beneficial in dealing with discipline issues and maybe not always being identical in regards to consequences, for instance, and, and making sure, uh, you know, sometimes I did that, but without allowing everybody to understand, you know, that there is that difference, you know, it's important right. for your people to understand uh, really. Thanks for sharing, Coach. We asked that question about mistakes and lessons learned with every leader that we interview. And the lesson that you shared resonates with Mary and I because we both serve as executive coaches with leaders that have to set clear standards for their teams, but also have to bring their seasoned judgment in making decisions about their people. And uh, often these decisions aren't easy and flexibility is required given the person in the context. But your response to this question, as well as to one we discussed a few minutes ago, just reminded me of your definition of leadership, which is so different from the many that we've read over the years. You believe the ultimate goal of leadership is continuous improvement rather than a quantifiable, discrete outcome, like season wins or bowl games. And in your definition, anyone can be a leader, but a mindset and spirit of continuous improvement really does set a high bar and it, and it's a big responsibility. Well, I think that, you know, to me, uh, just as you said, I think everyone, everyone will be thrust into a position. Yeah. Leadership. Everyone yeah. will. And some will respond to it appropriately and some will not. Right. And uh, my feeling was that the principles and Still is, you know, my principle or my feeling is that the principles of prominent leadership are the same principles that provide opportunities to become successful. 
I think they're one and the same. And uh, everybody wants to be successful. Some people don't want the leadership role. They don't want to be thrust into it. And yet, you know, uh, if, it's, if it's simply, uh, I have a family, you know, I'm a leader of a family. Uh, I'm a leader of a Sunday school class. I'm, you know, you're gonna be thrust into uh, that capacity and uh, might as well take advantage of it. And hopefully, hopefully they will. Coach Snyder, I heard the athletes speak about that first year at Kansas State and what an impact you had as far as hard work and the discipline that you brought to the team. I thought it was pretty dramatic what you expected from people and that you modeled that yourself. Can you tell us, were there any daily habits or routines or discipline that you followed when you were coaching that made you successful that our listeners can take away for their own lives? Well, most people would say, you know, and the players will say, you know, I drove by at midnight and your car is still there. And uh, I was uh, uh, in a variety of things like that. And indeed, uh, you know, we went early in the morning and, and it was midnight or after, you know, when, when we left. Uh, I always simply said, I'm just not bright enough to do it any faster. So I had to be a little longer than most, but uh, I, it was significant to me. I, I just learned, learned from my mother, you know, that, that hard work, the simplicity of hard work is significant in one's life. So significant. I mean, some people are, are so bright and feel as though, you know, I don't have to apply myself as much because I'm bright enough to do this, but yet think, how prominent could my task be or the completion of my task if indeed I did impose my intelligence and still worked extremely hard at it. <clears throat> hard work is, uh, you know, is one of those values that I think most uh, people uh, truly uh, appreciate. Simple, but nevertheless, you know, it's, uh, it's there. And I think that was uh, kind of my nature, you know, when I was uh, growing up and all my coaching uh, job, teaching jobs, whatever the case may, may be. And uh, that, you know, was kind of <clears throat> the way uh, I wanted the program, programs I was in that I wanted it to be. You know, I wanted our players to, to develop that particular value within themselves you know, of hard work. So, you know, we presented the example and then we put them in a position where uh, that's basically, I hate to say it this way, but for lack of a better word, that's what they had to do. The work was long, the work was hard. When we first started, there were no rules in regards to the amount of time and you, you would, uh, I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, I get and have all my career there received letters, age of computers, uh, emails, et cetera, et cetera, phone calls, almost constantly from players who say, I didn't get it then. I hated it then. It's made a difference, an amazing difference in my life. That's, that was the intent. 
And so it's rewarding, you know, to hear that. In other words, they're saying, you know, we worked harder, or they felt they did, worked harder than anybody anywhere. But it paid off in, in anything that we are trying to achieve that has this, this message to it or philosophy to it. You know, something has to prove that that philosophy works. You got to have some results. And as I said, you know, winning and losing wasn't what I felt the results or what needed to determine whether it was successful or not. But I am wise enough to understand anyway that everybody else does. That winning and losing is, <laughs> and unfortunately, that's the way college and high school athletics have gone uh, today. Uh, truly unfortunate. But what was of value to me in regards to wins and losses was the fact that every year, for the first 10, 12 years, the program, in terms of wins and losses, got a little better, a little better. You say, you know. We won one, next year we won four. <clears throat> I may not get the numbers exactly right. And then we won five, then seven. Uh, we took a step back to six, then we won eight, then we won nine, then we won 10, then we won 11, then we won 11, then we won 11. And uh, so I could point to the win-loss improvement over those years as it relates to constant and continued improvement. Being able to equate that each individual making improvement in their life and in, on the football field contributed to making that happen. So yeah. there, was, there were results for their hard work, the effort that they put in, the attitude that they brought yeah. to the plate. Well, Coach, let me, uh, we'll wrap up here with um, kind of the, the questions that are a little bit more rapid fire and, you know, kind of you can take brief one, two or three sentence answers is kind of how we always end in our interviews. Um, uh, as a coach, what part of the job gave you the most satisfaction and what was the most challenging? Well, I think they were one and the same. I think the, <laughs> uh, uh, the greatest satisfaction came from uh, seeing young people develop as quality young men yeah. uh, and hearing from these young people, some not so young anymore, uh, et cetera, uh, explaining how significant the program was in their, in their life. But also that was the most complex thing you know, as well as being able to uh, join uh, that, that development of quality young people, uh, join that with winning football games. What's the most helpful advice you've received and the least helpful? Well, I think the most helpful and, and I don't know, it, it, it just, I, I don't know if it was really advice given, but it was just something that perhaps I learned along the way. And that was simply be where you are. 
Because I, as I said, when I started out, I was always trying to take the next step. And consequently, I really didn't see myself as being very confident where I was doing what I was doing. And when I finally decided, you know, I, this is where I'm going to be, period, end of the question. And, you know, I've been at Kansas State for 30, 30 years. Uh, had every opportunity in the world to leave and uh, chose not to not to do so and because they uh, I wanted to live by you know, what my value of loyalty really was yeah. uh, both uh, to the university and the community but myself as well and the least helpful advice like I said I I've received a lot of wonderful advice yeah, uh, and I've seen, I've received a lot of advice that uh, uh, that I wasn't interested in. That I was pretty much aware was not yeah. going to uh, create any uh, improvement or uh, success in any facet of my life or program. You know, it, it would probably be one that comes to mind uh, without suggesting names is you know you always have the advice of here's a player out in such and such a place that you should really have in your program you need to recruit him we're going to help you uh you need to take him into your program and uh sometimes that individual and, and uh, if people are well-meaning right uh, no doubt about that but uh, sometimes you know whether you took an individual or not something would occur that would allow you to realize that was not a uh, not a wise decision. Coach, what's the best book you've read in the past year? Well, if I could turn this, I would show you my my bookshelf, and there is probably five hundred books, uh, and very few of them have I read. That's what I was putting off in retirement. <laughs> But uh, somehow I can't get to retirement yet, so I haven't done that. I read, uh, a book uh, by a fellow by the name of McCullough, who is a uh, doctor down in uh, Florida, I believe, who I met at a, uh, at a function, and we got to know each other, and he's uh, written a number of, uh, number of books, even though I don't recall the name of it. Uh, it was still significant. I mean, I really had a great appreciation. It was kind of a, oh, I won't say a self-help book, but it was uh, one of uh, history. Uh, primarily, I, he's from Alabama. It was primarily uh, about uh, the values that he was engaged in as a student at Alabama and getting to know uh, Bear Bryant and having written uh, the biography of uh, Bear Bryant. And, and it, the book that, uh, that I've read of his is not, it's not about football. You know, it, it, it's about life. Last question. If you could go back in time, what advice would you give that young William Jewell graduate back in 1962? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, you know, make sure that when you get into this coaching profession, 
that you never lose sight of the things that are really important in your life and beginning with, you know, your family and your faith and being able to pay appropriate attention to, you know, to those. And it becomes, you know, the more you become ingrained uh, in this in this field, uh, and that's one of the things you ask a question about, you know, what people don't know. Uh, you know, it gets broadcast, but in general, people don't really understand the amount of time invested in this. You know, we're talking about, uh, you know, 120 hour weeks constantly. That makes it difficult. Every day of my coaching career after a couple of years, I called my children every single day. I still do. 81 years old, I call my children, call my grandchildren every single day. And we've got five children, got eight grandchildren. And when my great-grandchildren are old enough, and if I'm still walking and can talk, and I'll make those calls again. All right. Well, Coach Snyder, thank you so much for sharing your time and your story and your honesty. Uh, we really appreciate it. I know you have many things that you could be doing, but it really does mean a lot to me and Mary and to our listeners. Um, this conversation is really rich with wisdom and can help us be better leaders and, and just better human beings. So thank you so much uh, for everything you've given. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your wisdom, your insight, and most importantly, sharing your values with us. It's inspiring. Thank you. Very kind. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Well, that was such an inspirational podcast. Listeners, we hope that you enjoyed it. We hope you took away some great tools that you'll be able to use every day as a leader. And Brian and I are available if you need executive coaching. Or if you'd like to accelerate the cohesiveness and collaboration of your team, you can reach us at theteamgurus.com. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe to our show, share your comments and feedback. We will see you next time.